This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, the economic impact of the Ukraine-Russia conflict is focused on what sanctions might have Vladimir Putin potentially changing the path he's led his country on. It's also focused on a variety of Russian oligarchs around the world and locking down their resources. But what about the average Russian citizen? How are they being impacted by all of this? With more on that, pleasure to be welcoming in Nick Rusinov, who is a finance professor at the Wharton School. Nick, great to talk to you. Great to be here, Dan, as always. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And, and, and I guess give us your perspective on, on how the, the average Russian citizen could be potentially being impacted by all of this. Well, I think the, uh, the, the fact has already been felt by most, if not all, people in Russia. Uh, and this has to do with both the, the sharp depreciation of the ruble that basically happened um, shortly after the invasion and, uh, and then um, the kind of banking, I don't want to say crisis yet, but the, uh, the, the restrictions on the withdrawal of um, hard currency, foreign currency in particular from, uh, from banks, as well as the inability of uh, uh, Russian bank uh, customers to use Visa and MasterCard. Uh, which were all as a result of uh, the sanctions, uh, is, is being felt uh, you know, across the country. Pretty much anybody who has um, any sort of participation in the banking system, which is the vast majority of the population, feels it one way or, or another. Um, and uh, the sort of the secondary, perhaps, the effect that might not be felt as acutely yet but will be felt soon is, uh, well, the shortage of all uh, kinds of consumer goods uh, right now of course, the, the shelves are being emptied across uh, stores and supermarkets across the country. Um, and uh, a lot of the foreign companies that have withdrawn, like IKEA, are closing their, closing their stores. Uh, lots of luxury retailers have closed all their stores. Um, so this is felt by kind of old strata of society, maybe in, in different ways. But uh, certainly the average, uh, the average person feels that both their uh, – the purchasing power is being eroded by uh, the depreciation of, of the ruble and uh, the, the disappearance of um, disappearance of goods from stores, as well as rising prices, is going to make it um, quite unpleasant in the short run. And in the longer run, the, the question is whether jobs will start disappearing uh, as well. A lot of the uh, Russian uh, production farms have suspended production, but have not fired workers. They're they're kind of giving a for, furloughs with pay um, for some uh, number of weeks, um, a lot of the car manufacturers in particular and, and other, other production firms, but who knows how long that can last and whether eventually they'll run out of money and will be forced to fire workers. And, and I guess the question for a lot of people then becomes, if you see shutdowns in a lot of these businesses, are the companies behind them, uh, which may be outside the U.S., uh, are they going to make these shutdowns permanent? And that, I think, is still, in, to, to a degree, still up in the air. Absolutely. The U.S. companies or other foreign companies, for that matter, that are withdrawing, they might uh, anticipate at some point coming back. But if they withdraw for a long enough time that would necessitate firing local workers, it's possible that the government may consider nationalizing their local production facilities and other facilities in order to both uh, maintain the workers employed and, of course, to, to see the assets on the ground that foreign companies are effectively kind of leaving behind. So even with some of the sanctions on uh, on oil and gas, 
we hear stories about the relationship with China and India in terms of still being a, a significant portion of uh, Russian supply that is still going out at this point. Uh, well, first of all, so far, it's mostly the U.S. that has imposed sanctions on, on oil and gas. Europeans are still continuing to buy uh, mostly Russian gas, which basically the, in the short run, they have very little of wages to, to substitute because it comes through a pipeline and the LNG liquefied natural gas uh, capacity of both export, let's say, for, from the U.S. and import into uh, Europe is heavily dependent on the terminals that convert that uh, liquefied natural gas into you know, its actual gaseous form. Uh, and so it's not so easy to quickly shift from the Russian pipeline gas to, to alternatives. Uh, oil is more of an issue uh, in the sense that very few shipments of oil from Russia are being received uh, in the West. Uh, but of course, yeah, as you said, China and India serve as a larger market for that oil in the, in the long run and potentially for gas. There, there are talks about building more pipelines, in fact, agreements about building more pipelines for Russian natural gas to China. But again, that's not something that's done um, overnight. The other side that I'd be interested to get your, your, your thoughts on is just how much the Russian public in general knows why some of these impacts are occurring because of this conflict in, in Ukraine and because of, of other countries uh, putting these sanctions into place. How much is that a, a, a general knowledge across the country? Well, I think it is pretty general knowledge that a lot of the hardships that are going to be experiencing are due to the uh, to the Western sanctions, and perhaps more so even than that it actually is uh, in reality. For example, the fact that a lot of the Western companies are withdrawing from the Russian market is not a result of the sanctions. It's a result of sort of self-sanctioning, perhaps, uh, by those firms, maybe sort of uh, a, a social pressure on those companies, as well as realizing the risks of staying in Russia rather than some foreign government telling them that they have to shut down and withdraw. And yet the Russian public perceives that as the Western pressure uh, on them. And uh, certainly they they feel that this is something that's being done to them uh, externally, fairly or not, which most people probably think is you know unfair because that's what they that's what they hear and see on TV. How much is felt then? Uh, when uh, Russians are going to, say, the grocery store or they're going to the furniture store, how much impact will they see in those locations? Uh, well, they will. As I said, IKEA, for example, is already shuttering its stores, so there's going to be a lot fewer right. furniture stores open, at least in the short run, uh, and, and certainly the grocery store shelves are, are being emptied, as, as I mentioned, uh, and they will, they will feel this uh, both immediately and perhaps uh, in the long run. Now, the question is how kind of how long that long run is, and to what extent um, the Russia can re- kind of recover and substitute for for some of that uh, lacking foreign supply domestically. They do, to some extent, uh, kind of plan for this, and it is, it is possible. But uh, certainly, everybody will will feel it. What's your ex- expectation then as to the the longer term economic impact in Russia because of these sanctions and, and because of this conflict in Ukraine? Well, I think that in the long term, the impact is uh, is terrible, even beyond what what I've already mentioned about sort of the short term impact. Because one thing that we're already seeing is the, the erosion of, of human capital in a sense that. 
uh, the, the productive, educated, younger workers are now leaving Russia and mass and looking for uh, opportunities abroad. In part because the companies are uh, are that they're they're working for are, are shuttering, um, that, uh, or because the the, um, uh, the collaboration with Western companies is becoming impossible, or, or at least very much harder. Um, and this extends, by the way, beyond beyond business, but also to, to academia, science, and so on and so forth. Um, right. So I think the brain drain that is accelerating uh, has you know, potentially long-lasting effects for um, for the Russian economy, because of course, you know, human capital is what what what, what drives productivity growth, what drives the kind of long-run um, you know wealth creation in the country, and uh, that human capital is being dissipated. Um, pretty rapidly. Nick, great to have you with us. Thanks for a few moments. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.